Isn't it, isn't it wonderful that all this technology enables us to speak to you the way that we're doing it? And sometimes these things, you know, we, sometimes we miss bits in here. There's all sorts of stuff going on in here. So we're so thankful that we can actually communicate. And, and you know, God is bigger than COVID. You may not have heard everything of the intimations at the start of the service. Um, encounter is tonight. Communion is also tonight, so make sure you, you bring your own bread and wine. And house groups are meeting this week as well. I think you probably got all the rest that I needed to say. But also, we're so thankful to Lindsay and to Daniel. And Lindsay has been on our Growing Young program. She's been involved in the, the, the team. And, and we just want to pray for them now as they're settling into Belfast, into getting organized and new jobs there and we're just lifting them up. So let's just pray for them and pray for each other as we, as we enter into thinking about God's Word. Father, we are so thankful for friends, for family, for church. We're so thankful for the folks that we, we get the opportunity to walk alongside, even for a short time. And Lord, we want to lift up Lindsay and Daniel as they have headed back across the water into new jobs, being closer to Lindsay's family. And we just lift them up to you and pray your blessing on them. And Father, we do, as we, as we think about your word this morning, as we think about what it means to put you first and to put others first, to prioritize young people, Lord, we pray that you will you'll let us see with your eyes what it means to put you first, to put children first, to welcome them in your name. So Lord, lead us. Lead us and guide us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And we're so thankful to Steve for leading us in prayer this morning. You may not know Steve yet. You may not have seen him. He is our student youth worker. He's, he's attached to our church for three years. Who knows how long it may be longer. God's got plans in all of this. But Steve is with us for three years and he's, he's studying at university and he's also doing a placement with us, and we're so thankful for him. It's great to have you with us. Anyway, let's get it on. Let's get into God's Word. Let's think about what it means to prioritize young people everywhere. This is where the rubber hits the road. This is where the challenges begin, because we've been thinking over the last four or five weeks about empathy, about being a warm church, about taking Jesus' message seriously, thinking about keychain leadership. That's where we've been this last week. Well, you may not, or may not remember it all, but that's what we've been doing. And this week, we are thinking about how we prioritize young people and families everywhere. If we don't do this bit, and we have a nice, warm, cozy church, we are in danger of just becoming a social club, of just going through the motions about caring for each other, about being comfy, and about being comfortable. And that is where I think, you know that quote we spoke about a few weeks ago, that Jesus came to disturb the comfortable and comfort the disturbed? I think that is part of what we're thinking about this morning, that we want to disturb the comfortable. We want to be shaken out of our complacency. We want to seek God. 
We want to hear Jesus' message, and not just for us, but for the people who need to know the good news. And everyone needs to know the good news. So that's where we're going this morning. And we always start with a wee break, a wee joke, and, and it's just to loosen you up, just to get you in the mood. And there's this young seminary, young divinity student who was back home for the holidays and his minister was not well, so he was asked to come and, and preach in the church. And he started off his sermon by saying, if you break a window, then you put a piece of plywood over the hole. And I think that's what I'm kind of doing this morning. I'm, I'm, I'm just covering for the window. That is what you would call a substitute. And so he went on to preach a sermon. And then this one dear old lady came up to him at the end and said, I liked your story at the start, but you are no substitute. You were a real pain. I want to be a bit of a pain this morning. I want to to be the kind of grit in the, in the, in the oyster to, to create the, the pearl, if you wish. I want to, to rub, just rub up against you a wee bit and, and just challenge you as church. And if you're watching and, and you, you've not been part of the church yet, then please just listen along because this is for you. But I'm speaking to, to the, the, the church who have been here, who have been a part of this place, who have the power to allow things to change. And I'm speaking directly to you this morning. Growing Young is all about stories. And there's a story from a church in Los Angeles. The church is the first Baptist church of Southgate in Los Angeles. Now this church is made up primarily of folks who have come from Spanish-speaking countries. And their church service was always in Spanish. But as they got settled in, as they began to you know, own houses and build families and grow families, the kids, the youngsters, were speaking English more than they were speaking Spanish. And they discovered that the kids were disengaging because the church services were in Spanish and they weren't really communicating in their first language. So what the church decided to do was, you know, and it was a big thing that their Spanish language was, was core their being. They were, they were so kind of key in living in that way that they realized they had to decide whether or not their services could continue fully in Spanish and risk losing their young people. And what they did was they decided that they would begin to have not only Spanish services, they had English services but also they combined so that in one service there would be bilingual opportunities for everyone. And it changed the whole culture of the church. But they discovered that the young people engaged and more came in and the church is now thriving rather than losing their next generation. Prioritizing their children, their teenagers, their young adults has made all the difference. And you may be thinking, well, we're in Dalkeith, we're in, we're in sunny Scotland, what has that got to do with us? But actually, we may underestimate the extent of the cultural gaps that exist across the generations within our congregation and in the wider community. 
this story, I think, has a lot to tell us. So here's the problem. We like what we're used to. We're comfortable with what we know. What would you give for this church to grow younger? We are, we, we've got lots of families. We've got teenagers around. We had Kimberly leading an awesome kids' church this morning. We have young folks around. But what would we do to get more, to prioritize them? Now, many people would answer, we would do anything to get young people into their church. But when the push comes to shove, they find they're hesitant to give up what they consider essentials to the genuine church. What are the essentials to genuine church? Why are they essential to you? For me, church is about the Father, or about the Son, about the Holy Spirit. Everything is to be centered, I believe, on Jesus. And young people, when they connect with Jesus, they discover so much more for their lives. You know, often across the world, across the ages, people connect with Jesus but disengage with church. And I think sometimes as church, we confuse Jesus with our cultural identity, with our congregational traditions, with our expectations and even our language. I hope you're still with me at this point. Angela, who's a church leader, said these words, teenagers know how know they are important because how they're involved in ministry. They are treated as fully-fledged members of the church, not just kids to be entertained. How much would we as church give up so that we reach young people? So this is, this is the area in which we're entering into this morning. And into this, Jesus speaks. We turn to Mark at verse, chapter 9, at verse 33. They came to Capernaum when he was in the house. He asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they'd argued about who among them was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last, and the servant of all. Then he took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Jesus' disciples were having an argument about who was the best, who was the greatest, now, Jesus knew exactly what was going on, but when he asked them, they all clammed up. And then Jesus sits them down and lays it on the line. Whoever wants to be first must place himself last and be the servant of all. And then to drive home the message, he brings in this kid, he brings in a child to come and stand among them and tells them, whoever welcomes me, whoever welcomes in my name, one of these children welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me, welcomes not only me, but also the one who sent me. And what is interesting about this is this is not just a, a one-off teaching. 
Jesus then has to repeat it on a number of occasions just in the chapter following. He comes back to it quite a few times. It's something we must grasp firmly and take to the core of what it means to be followers of Jesus. To be the church of Jesus in every generation, in every context. And it's clearly not an easy teaching because Jesus comes back to it. Trying to get the disciples and the people to understand. Twice more, in chapter 10, there's all these people around Jesus and they're bringing the children to be blessed by Jesus. And what do the disciples do? The disciples, they say, come on in, welcome, come on, Jesus is going to bless them all. No, he, he says, stop annoying. They say, stop annoying Jesus, get away. You're not, don't bring the kids to him. And he, he speaks in to this and he says, let the little children come to me, do not stop them. Because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Mark 10, 14. Then he goes on, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. The disciples just don't get it. Because later on, James and John, they are saying, can we sit next to you when you ascend your throne? We're going to be right beside you. We want to be elevated to where you are. And he says to them, if any of you wants to be great, you must be the servant of the rest. It's a challenging, challenging word for you and for me to put our preferences down, to let others come in, and to become like children, to become like children in our trust and as we follow him. Now, in Jesus' day, children were, were the, the bottom of the pile. They were seen as the worst of the worst. And as Jesus says these words, he's saying, look, you've got to help those who are in need. You've got to help the ones at the bottom of the pile. And I think that brings in, in Matthew's gospel, the sheep and the goats, where Jesus shares the parable there. And he says, whenever you've fed the needy, the hungry, the naked, the wounds in prison, whenever you helped them, you helped me. This is life-changing stuff because the least one is the most important one in Jesus' eyes. The one bringing up the rear will be the first in God's kingdom. The servant will be the greatest in God's eyes. And this has to challenge us. This has to challenge us as individuals and as church. Now, a couple of questions to help you in your thinking, to shape all our thinking as church. Firstly, what will it mean for you personally and for us as church to welcome children in Jesus' name? And not just children, but teenagers, young adults, whole families. And actually, not just the young people, but anyone who might actually feel on the fringes or outside to be the least important because they don't have it together or because they're trapped in some sort of prison, maybe of their own making or the making of others. Jesus says, if you welcome them, you welcome me, and if you welcome me, you welcome the one who sent me. When we make it hard for people to break in to, the, to this expression of church life that we have, 
where we're comfortable, where we rule the roost. We miss Jesus. When we form little clubs and cliques, when we exclude others, we miss Jesus. So what will it mean for you personally and for us corporately to welcome? And secondly, if Jesus asks us not only to welcome children, but to become like children, what will it mean for you personally and for us as church to receive the kingdom of God like a child? Well, off the top of my head, I think it's we need to trust with the willingness of a child, and we need to depend on God as children depend on their parents. No ifs and buts, no reason to hold back. There is nothing stopping us from receiving like a little child, because God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. And all you need to do is accept it, invite him in, and walk with him to receive the kingdom of God. Like a child, that is it. You accept it, you receive it, and you walk in it. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you. And this is the solution. This is the solution to our own comfort, to our own likes and dislikes that shape church because we put them aside as children of God. It allows us as individuals and as a church to put ourselves last, to be willing to put ourselves last because we see what God has done for us. To be servants, and not only servants of God, but going wherever he leads us, to be servants of one another. We put ourselves at the back of the queue. When we come to church, when we're doing church day by day, we're putting ourselves at the back of the queue to let those who don't know yet to receive what we already have. And the thing is, when we do this, the whole church benefits. Everyone rises when you focus on children and teens. Young people are like salt. When they are included, they make everything taste better. Prioritizing means we intentionally pay attention to young people. We prioritize families, and we invite young people to take a load-bearing wall. Now, a load-bearing role. One of my favorite programs is Houses Under the Hammer. I don't know if you ever get to see that. Sometimes on a, a day off, I manage to, to just click in, and there's Dion Dublin going around this wreck of a house, and he's always got great ideas for what the people are going to do when they buy it, and they buy it at auction, and then they do it up. And there's always this comment of, well, I would knock through this wall, but it's a load-bearing wall. In other words, you need the pillars to hold up the, the roof. You need the wall to hold up the roof. And when we say that teenagers, we want them to have a load-bearing role, we want to invite them to take some of the weight, to step up, to be allowed to step up, to be allowed to make mistakes, to be allowed to take risks 
to bear the weight of the gospel message. When we prioritize, we're inviting the young people, the families, the teenagers to take part and to make a difference. What are we currently doing to prioritize young people in our church? What evidence do you see that suggests that our church culture prioritizes young people? And if you could change one thing that would help prioritize young people, what would that one thing be? I wonder, let's, let's dream together about what church could look like when we're allowed back in together. What church would look like when we prioritize young people? What would our church gatherings look like when young people are excited and the highlight of their week is coming together with their family here at church? Where could young people be more integrated? What would it take to integrate them? And how much would you be willing to change in order to receive them and make that happen? There is, from the eighth chapter of Zechariah, a prophecy that was written to the Jewish people in their exile as they dreamt about the return to Jerusalem. And it's really stuck with me this week as I discovered it. In Zechariah 8 verses 4 and 5 it says this, this is what the Lord Almighty says, once again men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each of them with cane in hand because of their age, and the city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. How about if you changed a couple of those words and it said this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the seats of St. John's and King's Park, each of them with cane in hand because of their age, and the church will be filled with boys and girls playing there. This is what the Lord Almighty says. It may seem marvelous to the remnant of this people at this time, but will it seem marvelous to me, declares the Lord. I will save my people from the countries of the east and west, and I will bring them back. I will be faithful and righteous to them as their God. Zechariah 8, go and read that whole chapter after the service finishes. I just want to close thinking about St. Valentine. We had Valentine's Day what, uh, nearly a month ago now, and I've stumbled across quite a few stories of him. He was, he was, a, he was a saint, St. Valentinus. We know him as St. Valentine. He was of Rome, and he would go around marrying folk, even though the emperor had banned marriages because he wanted the men to go into battle. So he, he was, he was, he was um, locked up, he was jailed because of what he was doing, helping folk get married. Uh, but he was also known as someone who could bring the gift of healing to those in need. And when he was in jail, he was chatting to the, the, the jailer. And he was chatting to the jailer, whose name was Asterius, I think. And he was chatting about 
how the jailer's daughter, foster daughter, was ill. And so Valentine said, bring him in, bring her in, and let me pray for her. So he did. He prayed for her, and she was healed. But when the emperor, Emperor Claudius, heard this, he ordered them all to be executed. And on the 14th of February in the year 270 AD, at the age of 44, St. Valentine was martyred. Now, I share this story because he knew what was going to happen for himself, and he still wanted to put others first. He put others first without fear or with fear, but he was willing to do what was necessary. I wonder if we will do what is necessary. I wonder if we will put ourselves at the back and let others be welcomed in. I wonder if we will step back and let others people's preferences, let other people's choices dictate how we prioritize and welcome. Welcome the children, welcome the young people, welcome the families, and turn things around so that we connect with them. Let's welcome the children and the least important in the world in Jesus' name. In fact, let's become like them, children and servants of God. And let's see what kind of future God will lead us into. A future, I believe, where he will draw many near because they have heard that God is with us. Everyone rises. That's the good news. Everyone rises when we focus on young people. Let's make that a priority as we step into the next stage, this next season of where God is leading us. Let us pray. Father, I pray that we will be ready and open and willing to help others be brought forward to be blessed by Jesus, that they will receive the good news, because we have made a way. Lord, make us make a way in all the things that we do, in all the things that we say. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now we're going to invite Stephen to come down again. He's, he's, up, in, he's up at the sound desk just now. He's going to come and lead us for the, the second prayer. So just give us, just take a moment just to ponder, think about Zechariah 8 and think about what it means to prioritize young people.